The Loop podcast brought to you by Granicus. Hello and welcome to The Loop, a podcast all about government digital engagement. The Loop is brought to you by Granicus, the digital experience platform for governments. With better engagement comes better feedback, leading to better service delivery in the public sector. This podcast is for public servants, whether they are working in local, state or federal government roles and the communities they work with. Thank you. Welcome to The Loop. Today I'm talking with Luke Dart, who's the solution consultant at Granicus, and we've got a really interesting case study about how technology is bridging some of the divide in a very large territory, which is quite a famous territory in Australia, called Broken Hill, which is overseen by Broken Hill City Council. Luke, welcome. Thank you, Corey. I wanted to ask you, can you paint the picture of Broken Hill as a territory? For any Mad Max fans, they've probably got some great visuals. It is a destination for filmmakers and production crews, but it's a large and diverse area. Can you talk us through Broken Hill Council? Yeah, sure, I'd love to. Broken Hill is out in far west New South Wales, so it's often referred to as the real outback or the the doorstep to the outback. It's surrounded by a vibrant desert. There's this concept we talk about and we hear from people who visit called this perfect line. So it's very famous for its art and culture. It's obviously birthplace of Proha. It's about six hours' drive to the nearest capital city which is in a different state, and then it's a 13-hour drive to Sydney. So it's also very geographically isolated. There's not a lot of surrounding population centres. So as a result, the community is very independent and very innovative. So if you need something done in Broken Hill, you, you need to figure it out. Now you can't go across the next council area and kind of see what they're doing. Well, obviously, you can pick the phone up, but a lot of the time, if you need something done, you need to work it out with the community there. So as a result, there's this balance of resilience, also due to like the natural environment, um, being in the desert, it's very cold winters, very hot summers, but there's also this vibrancy and this energy that comes with that feeling of being the master of your own destiny. It's such an interesting microcosm of all these factors that build communities, but almost exacerbated if you talk about the distance, the temperatures, the diversity, the light, the art, the remoteness. So what was Broken Hill City Council trying to achieve? What was the opportunity to connect citizens more effectively to the council services? Can you talk us through what their challenge was and then maybe a bit of how you broke it up and addressed it? Yeah, sure. So there was a few things at play with our need to replatform to a new website. Obviously, we knew that we needed to provide a better digital citizen experience. We know that we needed to be mobile responsive, no more people using mobile devices. But the driving force at the core of the project was providing a website that was both accessible and inclusive to people of varying needs within our community. Whilst there was a lot of factors at play, we also recognise the need as part of you know, digital transformation. And digital transformation is more than just rolling out new technologies, right? There's a people element too. And uh, we recognise that part of our transformation was giving people skills fit for the future. So we needed to move to a model where we could, instead of having all of our content management centralised in one function, be able to distribute that around the organisation and provide like a collaborative content model. So we had all these, I wouldn't say competing, but 
all these probably complementary things that were making it an important project. But where I really got the kick from was the recognition that it was inaccessible to people using assistive technologies or people who had varying needs and abilities. And that was something that we needed to do something about. We couldn't stand by and just say, hey, well, it's better than the last one we had. There was this acknowledgement that better does not necessarily mean good and that we needed to address some of these basic accessibility issues that we had and that the best way to do that was to partner with a supplier who had a product that was accessibility compliant straight out of the box. And then we only had to make sure that our content that we were putting in there was also accessible. And we knew that we would be in a good space from there and that would build our foundation for them being able to provide excellent digital services and communications out to our community. I find this conversation really fascinating because we have over the years had discussions with both state and federal government who are trying to do exactly this. How do you make sure if you are building digital services for the public to engage with government that they are reaching everyone and no one is left behind? Your previous roles were in local government, so you've got a very clear view of what communities look like. And I think local government's been very good at this because they do have a very firm view of who are their stakeholders, who are their constituents. So we've talked about accessibility. Can you talk us through the different ways you might look at that when you're designing these solutions to be applied in this area? What sort of things do you have to keep in mind? Essentially, you need to make sure that you're not putting any barriers in the way of people accessing the content and the services. So depending on people's level of ability, They might be using assistive technologies to read the content on the screen, for example. So if that's the case, you need to make sure that things like different uh, headings in your content are using the appropriate HTML tags and that they're nested appropriately. If you're using imagery on your website, you need to make sure that there's text equivalent of that imagery. Now, that might be as uh, alternative text in their coding. It might be as actually content on the web page, being able to understand when that's happening, which is appropriate to use is a key thing. But then you've also got things like, what about people with color deficiencies? They're not going to be using assistive technologies. So you need to make sure that the color contrast ratio used between your text and your background is sufficient that people can read that. And as we kind of rolled this training out to our, we moved to a collaborative content model And so we were training people who had little to no past experience in digital communications. We were training people on these techniques on how to make digital content accessible. And there's two really great things happened. One was some of these people then took that approach to thinking about accessibility and inclusion on purpose and took that into their broader roles and started thinking more about, hey, this thing that I'm doing that's not nothing to do with the website is part of my day-to-day, how do people who are different from me experience this and what can I do to actively include those people? So that was really great to see. And the other thing was some of these digital accessibility concepts were then applied to traditional marketing or traditional media, where people who were doing posters to put up around town were starting to think about the color contrast ratio because something's hard to read on the website, it's hard to read on paper as well. So we saw this, almost this bleed effect out throughout the rest of the organisation where people were starting to think more and more about how they could actively include all members of our community. 
there's a lot of discussion. I think there's a lot of language used about engagement and you know digital service delivery, et cetera, et cetera. But for Granicus, having some expertise and of course bringing sort of companies like Open City and Bang the Table into the Granicus family, there's a lot of expertise been built over a long period of time in terms of what that connection between digital and people and citizen actually looks like. And the idea to see that that then has created a ripple effect in terms of the way people look at other ways that engagement and particularly accessibility, I think it's very interesting. With a project like this, how do you kind of measure success? There's obviously operational success for the council because obviously budgets and delivering on its mandate to deliver for all citizens. Were there other things that popped up that you thought, outside of the last example you just gave, that were other measures of success that you may not have foreseen? Yes, absolutely. One of the ones that stuck out to me, being really close to some of our more engaged community members, these are the people who are regularly commenting on our Facebook content and regularly having open and frank discussions about council in public arenas. These are the first people who will tell you whether you get it right or get it wrong. So when we launched a new website, we took advantage of a capability where at the bottom of a lot of content pages, there was this, was this page helpful prompt and people could send through, you know, yes, it was, no, it wasn't, and they could include a comment. What we found was our highly engaged community members, they were the ones who were in there saying, no, this page was not helpful because, and then telling us, you know, what they were expecting to find there or what was missing. What we were able to do then was to really quickly turn that around and in some cases, the same day, update the web page because it was just so simple to update and then respond back to the person because they've given us their email and say, hey, thank you for letting us know. Uh, we've run an update on the page. Here's what we think you're after. If you need any more assistance, please feel free to reach out directly to me at and then include my email address back. And this was a service experience that they hadn't received before. And what we noticed was over time, they were helping us to improve the content on our website. But B, their approach to us in the public space changed in the tone. And what we saw was we saw less negative biases and more probably neutral approaches to the things we were doing. So we kind of saw this, this process play out where some of our largest attractors started seeing us through more neutral eyes, which is all we ever want, right? Champions are great. But when we've got people who are really critical of us, that critical feedback is really important for us to be able to do better. So we don't necessarily want them to stop telling us when we're getting things wrong. We just want them to be really neutral and really understanding about it. And that's what we saw. We saw that change where these people started essentially partnering with us. And some of them even gave the feedback. That was also how they saw it. It was both really fascinating, but also really empowering to kind of know that, yeah, that's a measure of getting it right when the people who used to be really quick to tear us down suddenly became the people who were telling us how to do better because we'd given them the right tools, we'd given them an avenue to do that, and we'd responded appropriately to them. And then to see how they were then starting to defend us in the public space when other people were being unfairly critical of us. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because it, maybe it's partly a generational thing as well, but once kind of websites go up, that it's a degree of distance and you know, it's things are slower, it's less transparent. It's not about relationships necessarily anymore. And I think what you're saying is it actually had the opposite effect, that people were able to give feedback, feel heard, build trust, their voice was valued. 
So it was probably a transformative experience for them as well, that it wasn't just a black hole that their inquiry was going into, but that there was someone there listening and actually inviting feedback. Yeah, and I think that's the crucial part to it is as uh, government staff, as digital practitioners, we need to realise that, yes, yeah, some people are happy just to come to a website, get the information they want in the ideal customer journey. Now we want to connect people to the information they need quickly and easily, give them the information to do what it is they need to get done, and then give them the ability to do it then and there. And I think it's that third step, the ability to do something then and there. That's what takes it from this separating experience to one of actually empowerment. Because if we think back to, especially the early days of the web, it was all kind of like information, information, information. But if you wanted to do something, you still had to call up or you started going somewhere. And then we kind of moved to this model where we started providing some services online, but most things were still offline, so you never quite knew. And now we're at this kind of moment in time where you can watch TV on any device, you can order a plane trip around the world from your mobile phone, but if you need to go into a council office to order a new bin, that's not what the consumer expects anymore. They actually expect that whatever it is they need to be able to do, they should be able to do online. So when we can provide that service as government, that's where it stops being that barrier and starts being something that empowers communities and communities get that as well. So the more opportunities we can give them for that digital communication experience that goes two ways, the more options we're giving them and the happier they are because that's what I've come to expect. Yeah, it's amazing when you see people you know, suddenly going, wow, this was so much easier than having to fill out paper form every year with the same information. So when the penny drops, it really is a um, hearts and minds exercise. Given what you've achieved in partnership with the council, it's always iterative. Things are always changing and moving. Can you give us a snapshot of what the next 12 months might look like? Are there other opportunities and areas where things can be expanded or there's unmet needs that you might be able to, to service? Yeah, so um, I know recently they've launched a community services portal. This is a, a place where they're able to collate all their different digital services regardless of where those services live. Now, some of their services live within their website. Some of them live within some of their other software products. So really being able to provide that connection layer between residents' community and the things that they're trying to achieve, I think that's kind of like their next step. And then I think we come back to that digital customer journey of quickly connecting people, giving them the information they need, enabling to do the thing then and there. The next two steps we see in that journey is delighting people with experiences they didn't expect. So this is being able to provide like the Netflix effect through digital content. So if you're registering your pet online, complete your registration, and then the digital systems you're using should know hey, we've got a million pause walk happening in the park on the weekend. Let's suggest that content to this person who's just registered their dog because that makes sense to them. So delighting people with that content experience that they weren't expecting and then building a participation habit. So in that same vein, if we're doing a consultation on companion animals, for example, another great example of content that can be served up that way to somebody who's not expecting it, they can then go in, they can engage online, again, being able to do it then and there, and then reflect that feedback back to them at the end of the consultation so they can see that what they contributed had an effect and was heard 
And by doing that, we can then build this participation habit. So as we're getting people come in looking for information, we're able to connect them to the right service. They can do the thing then and there. We can provide them with more content that's relevant to them, which hopefully delights them. And then we can connect them to opportunities to shape the future of their own community and then reflect that back to them at the end so that they understand that, yes, that had an impact and hopefully they're more likely to take action again in the future so we can build this habit of participation. So I think that's probably the opportunity, not just for Broken Hill over the next 12 months, but most local government organisations out there. We've talked a lot about accessibility. And you know, one of the things that I found was interesting with this particular case study is we talked about film crews and productions being in Broken Hill. There's famous ones, there's less famous ones, but that would be a genuine revenue stream of money coming into the town, which would be very important. And one of the things I understand is that the permits of securing permits via the council website, the frictionless ability to do that has to be a bonus in terms of bringing business into town. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, film industry in Broken Hill, there's a long history of it. So you know, the town's very well situated in terms of the environment and there's a lot of film expertise in the area. So being able to make that experience for visiting filmmakers as smooth as possible was really critical. And this was a great example of that collaborative content model in action. So I was part of the Broken Hill team when we were going through this I know nothing about film permits, right? I've got no idea what needs to be in them. I've got no idea what the process looks like at other organisations. But our film person at the time, she did. So she went through and constructed that form with guidance from communications. So we kind of went back and forth with her about, hey, how can we make this as user-friendly as possible? What needs to be there? And what doesn't need to be there? So it was more than just taking the original form and turning it into a digital form, right? Because if you take a poor offline experience and turn it into a poor online experience, you actually haven't achieved much. So it was about kind of rethinking, hey, what information do we really need? And then presenting that in a way that was as easy for someone to fill out as possible, worked across multiple devices, and most importantly, they could pay them and there online. It wasn't something they needed to then come in and do another transaction with. And although the form is quite long because there's a lot of things that go into a film permit, the feedback that we consistently got from applicants was that it was one of the easiest film applications that they'd experienced. And these are people who are filming all across the country. And if that's someone's first interaction with council and they're coming out to film, that really lays the base for a, a strong partnership. It really does. And if there's a choice between two sites that are maybe physically similar, but the experience and the ease to do business with the local council, that literally translates into money flowing into the town. So it's a really good example. Yeah, we've got a, another story that we tell quite often from there around we had a um, annual art prize, uh, the Pro Heart Outback Art Prize. Before we rolled out with overseas open forms, the process to apply was actually quite hard for the applicant and quite hard for the staff member trying to reconcile. So there was an online form. You'd go to that form and it would tell you that you needed to go somewhere else to make a payment first and that you need to use this reference number. So people then have to go to another URL, go to a payment portal, hopefully use the right reference number, make a payment successfully, get a receipt number, and then put that receipt number back over in this digital form. In the form itself, it wasn't mobile-friendly. It was hard to navigate. Then they'll submit it, and then somebody would have to take that submission and reconcile it with the payments, and hopefully the person's 
use the right reference number. Inevitably, people wouldn't because it was confusing. You know, it was hard for us to follow. And then the more submissions we got, the harder it was to reconcile because now you've got large data sets that you've got to cross-reference and you know, people are still using the wrong numbers in the wrong places. And it was just really, really hard. As a result, we couldn't scale it. So we were getting about 40 applications per year to the art prize. Rolled out with open cities and open forms, a nice, simple form with a good user experience, payment gateway included in the form. So one place to do all the stuff. Reconciliation was able to be automated. We were then able to scale the prize up. By my last year there, we were just shy of 450 applications at $50 per application. That's $20,000 extra revenue coming in per year from one form alone. And that many more people that are engaged with a prize that is really important from a community perspective. Absolutely. So the, the quality of the artworks obviously increased. The quantity we've got people applying from all over Australia and the ease of which we're able to do that. So servicing those 450 applications is easier than it was to service the 40 that we used to get with the old system, which was almost that concept of taking a hard-to-use offline experience and just turning that into a digital experience and then kind of going, yeah, we did it. Technically, yes, it was online, but yeah, it was certainly a barrier to growth. Fantastic. And I think that's the thing, like poor digital experiences become barriers to growth. And they just don't scale. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. It's a really good one because it it goes to the heart of Broken Hill as well. Like it's such a fundamental part of the DNA of the town. So yes, I am. Yes, inescapable. I can imagine. Luke Dart, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a a really interesting conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Corey. It's a pleasure to be here.